We've been in this series on parables, and I kicked this off a couple of weeks ago. By, by looking at what parables are, these stories that Jesus used to teach people fundamentally about God, about, about God's character, his purposes, his kingdom, of all the things Jesus could have used to teach the disciples and the crowds, he used stories. And we spoke in the first week about how stories have this way of getting under our skin in ways that sometimes facts just don't. And we've called this series Parables, Stories with Intent, which we nicked. But that's exactly what they are. <laughs> it's exactly what they are. Parables are stories that ultimately require a response to us. Ultimately require a response to God. You know, we looked at the, a couple of weeks ago, we really have three options when it comes to parables. We can either ignore what Jesus speaks to us. We can, uh, we can be offended by it or we can embrace it. So there are stories that inquire, acquire, acquire, require a response. And last week we looked, we, we had uh, not one sermon, but three amazing sermons, which was, um, which was great, or not one, but three amazing parables, and that was incredible. And this week, I want to look at these two parables that Craig's just read for us that often come uh, as like a package deal in Scripture. But they're two parables that probably, um, probably are two of my favorites in Scripture and two that I find consistently the most challenging to my life. It's only short. Why don't we read it again? So this is Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. You know, as human beings, we've been asking the same set of questions since really forever. Whoever you are, wherever you've grown up, whatever culture you're a part of, we all have these internal questions. What, are, what is the goal of life? Why am I here? What is, my, uh, what is my meaning? What's my purpose? What are we all heading towards? How can I be happy? How can I be satisfied? How can I be fulfilled? You know, I heard recently, and I'm, I'm not a scientist, you have to defer to Kate on that one, but I heard recently that, that scientists reckon that it, it, over the course of history, between one and six billion different species have existed. Are you listening to me? Not animals, species. Between one and six million different species have existed. And, and today, they reckon the estimate is about nine million. In the world today, nine million different species. But, but, but one of the fascinating things is that despite all of these millions and billions of different life forms that have been brought into existence through the course of the universe, as far as we're aware, as far as, we're know, as we know, we are the only creatures that ask questions about our own existence. That despite planets being formed and stars being hung and galaxies being, being created and engineered, we are the only creatures that ask questions about this creation. We see it, don't we, right at the beginning of Genesis 1. Adam and Eve are asking questions about their own existence. In fact, awkwardly, it's that sort of existential crisis that led to the fall, but we'll <laughs> pick that up on another, on another sermon. You know, why are we here? Is God really who he says he is? Is, that, is this really all there is? 
Maybe we'll take a bite of the apple. And, and throughout the millennia, we've been trying to answer these deepest questions, these deepest longings within us in a whole bunch of different ways. Plenty of ink has been spilled, hasn't it, by philosophers and sages and wise people around what, what, how do we truly find fulfillment? How do we truly find purpose and meaning? You know, most recently, at least in the Western world, uh, it's, it's, it's all about freedom, right? That the way that we find ultimate meaning, ultimate purpose, the way that we get to the root and the heart of what life's all about is by being free of all commitment, free, free of all limitation that we can do whatever we want. We can choose whatever we want or buy whatever we want. We can do whatever, whenever, with whoever. And when we're that free, ladies and gentlemen, we will find the nugget at the heart of the universe, the truth itself. And yet we find ourselves unfulfilled, we find this, this approach still coming up empty. You know, mental illness, we have services that are so bloated at the moment because mental illness is, is, is rising on such a... Increase! Synonyms! Scripture sermons, scripture sermons. But the things we're trying aren't working, are they? more technology than we've ever had, more information available to us than we've ever had in history. They can't answer the deep questions and the deep longings within us. This isn't to say, by the way, that everything's bad. We're capable of good things. We're capable of participating in amazing things. We're capable of, of, of love and beauty but they don't fundamentally answer or satisfy those deepest longings and questions within us. And what Jesus says in our, in our parables today, very directly, is that these deepest longings are nothing less than God himself. That the, the, the ache we feel within us, Paul says the, the yearning and the ache that the whole creation feels is because we're drawn to God. We're drawn to be in relationship with God. We, we're, we're longing in the deepest parts of us for God's rule and his reign, for his kingdom, for his mercy, his love. That is the word that fulfills us. So it's no wonder then, is it, that when this first man in the parable stumbles across this hidden treasure of God, of the kingdom, he receives it with joy. He's found it. The invaluable treasure. And so he receives it with joy. What does the parable say? In his joy, he went and sold everything else he had to buy the field and claim that treasure. You know, so often in Christian history, we've, we, we've sort of taken our starting point as the sacrifice that we need to make. That we'll make all of these sacrifices, then you know, we might laugh in church once a year. Or we might find some kind of joy. But, but the emphasis of, of the parable isn't on primarily, firstly, the sacrifice that the man makes. It's on the joy that he finds when he encounters the treasure. It's on the joy that he finds when he encounters the kingdom. You know, like Jesus paints a picture of us, of, of the kingdom, where, of course, we, we get everything. But it does cost us everything 
But what if we, what if we led in our, in, in, our, in our Christian lives? What if I led? What if I really believed that fundamentally, before sacrifice, before duty, before piousness, it was just joy? It was just joy to know God. I'm happily put aside all these other things because actually I believe that Jesus is the, shows us the most captivating possible way to live our lives. He shows us the way to the Father, which is the, the source, the origin and the source of all our longings and desires. Both of these parables paint a picture of the kingdom that's so captivating that the only emotion it could stir up is joy. And the man finds this treasure, the, the merchant finds this pearl and instantly recognises that this treasure and this pearl is of more value than anything he's got. It's not, it's not even a contest. Immediately, he, he, he looks at his life, he looks at his possessions and is happy to sell them all to attain this one thing, to sell everything to attain this one infinitely valuable thing. You know, as Johnny often says, you know, our, our lives actually fundamentally aren't about many things. They're about one thing, one infinitely valuable thing, which is God himself. And Jesus knew what he was talking about, as he often does, <laughs> by using these images. A, a little while ago, some archaeologists dug up uh, 20 pounds in, in weight of silver that they reckon dates back to the 11th, uh, 11th century B.C., and, and it's reckoned that, um, that if you were to dig up this kind of treasure back in the ancient world, this is the equivalent, at least the equivalent, of having won the lottery. You know, uh, pearls in the ancient world were considered the most valuable thing in existence. Jesus uses these images on purpose because he's talking about the kingdom of God to convey the fact that this kingdom, this treasure, this, this breaking in of God into our reality is the most valuable thing, the most important thing, the only thing that is worth you giving everything to. Everything. And Jesus', Jesus claim as well was that, that this kingdom, this, this treasure, is, you don't just have to stumble across it or seek it like the merchant did, like it's a faraway reality somewhere. But this kingdom is actually present at hand in Jesus. That because of Jesus, this, this kingdom is available to us now. We don't have to wait. We don't have to try harder, do better, accumulate more, more status. This kingdom is available to us right now, whether we trip across it today or whether we're in here seeking deeply for it. Jesus ushered the arrival of the kingdom. And, and here's the point. That Jesus shows us that the kingdom is actually what's really real. You know, so often we think of, of, of this, you know, this table, this iPad, this book, John's lovely beard, all as, as the things that are, are most real, what we can feel, what we can touch, what we can taste. Empiricism, woo! <laughs> what Jesus says is a reality beyond that. You know, there's the spiritual, isn't this, this, this ghostly second sphere realness and where what's really real, actually it's the other way around. That what's realest and truest is God's kingdom, is God's love, his goodness. And if anything, we're, we're like those ghostly figures walking around in the earth, learning to come alive to that. Does that make sense? What's really real is the kingdom, the story that God is writing. 
And so, so because of Jesus, we suddenly have these, these two stories that are playing out in our lives. We have the stories of, of what's going on with us, which is completely valid and important. We have the story of what's around us, the people we know, the places we, we go, what we feel, what we think. And then we have the story of God's work in the world, which is beautiful, loving creation that we decided to, to go away from God and mess it all up and he's recreating all over again and that he's going to establish it and bring it to fulfillment when Jesus returns. This is the reality that we sing songs about. And Jesus' invitation for us today is which reality do we want to live in? I'm not saying that we become these kind of ethereal people where, because, because Jesus came and was one of us. That God's reality is breaking into the realness. We don't just sort of start wearing feathers in our hair and go off on silent retreats in China or whatever. I'm just, although that's perfectly valid. Come discuss that in Alpha. <laughs> but it's the primary story that we navigate our lives around God's goodness and his kingdom, God's work. But it's difficult to swallow. Because we look around us, and if you're anything like me, Life doesn't look a lot like the kingdom. I look around me and I see pain and suffering. I can see hopelessness. Trauma, difficulty. It's difficult to to swallow that there's this bigger story going on when we just look at what's around us. But God's promise to us is that what we see and what we hear and what we touch, what we taste, however far from him it feels, doesn't have the final word. There is this bigger story going on that we're invited into. That if your hopelessness today feels all-consuming, it's the only thing you can come here thinking about. There's hope. There's a bigger story there's a story that, that overtakes and, and underpins everything that we're going through. And so we see that the parable today isn't just about the treasure. It's not just about the treasure in the field or the pearl of great value, but it's about our response to it. The invitation is, will we respond to this treasure that we found? Will we give up everything else and put this kingdom, this God, first? What is our Response. Now, I don't know if you've seen this film. Who knows what this is? Anyone got any ideas? Truman Show. Yes. My very favorite Jim Carrey film. This is Truman, Truman Burbank. For those of the uninitiated amongst us, uh, the film is about a man called uh, Truman Burbank who has lived his whole life in a reality TV show in a world that has been created under a massive dome, I think, in Hollywood or something in the movie. And everyone around him, uh, everyone around him are actors. His friends, his colleagues, his wife, everyone he knows are actors and as a part of this reality TV show. And everyone's aware of it. Everyone's in on it, except Truman. Truman just accepts this as his reality. 
And throughout the film, about two-thirds of the way in, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy things I could go into. I love this film. But there's, there's, there's like, they paint into the story that his dad died uh, in a boat accident, so he never wants to leave the island. And there's always adverts everywhere that warn against traveling and how dangerous and crazy it is, so, he never, so he'll never leave, basically. He'll never figure out that he's in this large sort of dome studio. And about two-thirds of the way through the movie, uh, these little clues start sneaking in that perhaps the reality that that Truman has accepted isn't all there is. And at one point in the movie, he basically has to decide what to do with this truth. Is he going to remain within his comfort life just as he knows it, even though ultimately he knows that it's not real? Or will he step into the real world? So the film, the climax of the film, which is where this scene comes from, is he he finally gets in a boat and he sails away from the island and his boat crashes into this wall, which looks like the sky and then he realizes isn't it's a wall and there's a door which leads to the outside world and he says that famous line to everyone watching good evening good morning good evening good night whatever and walks out into the into the real world and i think that's an analogy for what jesus invites us to do when we come across this treasure you know will will you give everything for the God who knows you and is revealing himself to you, the, 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 the one who is every, the fulfillment of every desire and every longing in your life? Or will you stay with your comfort? Will you stay in just the structures and the norms that you know? Because the truth is that this is treasure and it is a pearl. That God has better than our comfort. God has better than just the life and the things that we settle for. So what stops us? What stops us from stepping in? What stops us from from stumbling across this treasure and giving everything in our joy to attain it? A friend of mine recently says that if we have um, an issue giving up everything uh, for God, giving everything we are rather to God, it's usually because we, we undervalue the kingdom and overvalue our stuff fundamentally. We overvalue the, 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 the ways that we live our lives and the things that we do, and we undervalue God. And this is really part of my testimony. For lo- loads of you in here know that I didn't grow up a Christian. I uh, became a Christian as a teenager, but my testimony is kind of in two parts, because I became a Christian in my early teens, because I was invited along by someone, and, and I, I heard about Jesus, it felt like for the first time. I decided, yes, this is... This is captivating. I, I want to live my life according to this Jesus. But then as the teenage years went on, it wasn't so much of a Damascus Road experience, but really a set of compromises that came on each other bit by bit. I ended up getting involved in the music industry, which was amazing, but actually led me to make some really terrible decisions and some really terrible compromises. And fundamentally, I, I wanted the kingdom. I wanted Jesus, but I still wanted all my stuff. I still wanted all my ambition. I still wanted all the things that I thought would fulfill me. I still wanted to to submit to all of my same desires. But I I wanted Jesus kind of as a part of that. You know, I I wanted Jesus to be a part of my life. And I I left me fundamentally dissatisfied. You know, the the irony of it as well is that my Christian life looked to the people in my life who weren't Christians about as attractive as like like beef ice cream or something. (laughs) I wasn't able to, to, to fully give myself to either. I ended up just frustrated and dissatisfied, caught in this middle ground of, of, of wanting both, of, of wanting God's kingdom but on my terms, of wanting Jesus 
but my way instead of his. And so I remember I went for a walk one day in the little village where I grew up, and, and I said to myself, I'm not coming home until I've made a decision. Either I'm ditching this Jesus stuff, or I'm giving it everything. And I went down to this little park in my village and sat on this swing. I can remember it so clearly. And as I sat there wrestling with myself and wrestling with God, that's probably the first time that I tangibly felt God's love and his grace for me, his forgiveness. And that moment, there's something just switched in me. And I was like, I, uh, I suddenly saw the treasure. <laughs> I suddenly saw the treasure for what it was, that it was worth everything, every bit of my life, every bit of my devotion, every bit of my affection. And so I ended up having to make some difficult decisions in my life, some, some sacrifices, but that was not the point. The, the joy of God's love made those things actually quite easy. Around this time, I heard a quote from C.S. Lewis before I actually knew he was a Christian, before it was cool. So, and some of you would have heard this, but, but, but C.S. Lewis's quote, he said, if, if Christianity is true, it is of infinite importance, utmost importance. And if it's not true, it's of no importance whatsoever. The one thing, the one thing that Christianity cannot be is moderately important. And I look at my life and I think, how often do I treat God's kingdom as moderately important? And there's so much frustration when we do this because guess what? God's kingdom isn't designed to fit in to our lives. God's kingdom isn't designed to be a nice, tidy, compartmentalized thing in our lives that we can just kind of pour on, as uh, I think I said, as spiritual seasoning or life's kebab whenever we want to. Ha <laughs> ha! God is not a commodity. And so we're left frustrated because it doesn't work. Jesus says earlier in Matthew that if you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else, everything else will be added. And so when we put our stuff before God, it just leads to frustration. But when we put God first, his kingdom first, and let everything else flow from that, knowing that this treasure is of ultimate value, it leads to transformation. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's ambition, I want to be great and I want to be successful. I want to make my mark on the world, man. And Jesus is like, well, actually, if you want to be great, you've got to become the least. You actually need to serve others. So I'm just left frustrated because how, how does that fit in? How does that fit in with my sense of ambition? Maybe it's happiness. I just want to be happy all the time. Jesus said, well, actually, suffering's an inevitable part of life. Jesus tells us that if we wish to follow him, we don't, we don't seek for all of our desires to, met, but we actually, to be met, but we actually deny ourselves. And Jesus shows us that, that even he can transform suffering and death into a glorious work for us. But I try and reconcile these two things and I'm left frustrated. Maybe it's money. I want to be totally financially secure and be able to do or buy whatever I want. But Jesus says, well, I can see, I can see what you're saying, but you can't serve both. You can't serve God and money. It's actually, it's actually more blessed to give than to receive. And so again, I'm left frustrated. Maybe it's relationships. I want to have all my needs met. 
But Jesus actually says that the truest love isn't about sex, but about sacrifice. And we're actually called to put others' needs before our own. We're called to prefer the other, to outdo one another in showing honour. Or maybe, beat my chest on this one, it's approval. I want everyone to love me. You do, don't you? <laughs> but Jesus says, well, that's understandable, but you saw how I point out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees that are so concerned with popular opinion that they miss the Messiah right in front of them. And that actually I've called you to be distinctive. How do I hold both those things together? I'm left frustrated. But when I find this treasure in the field, when I find this pearl of great price and recognize that it is life itself that is worth everything I am and put this kingdom first, this kingdom that is designed so that all the rest of my life would flow from it, this kingdom that Jesus promises within it is life and life in all its fullness. I look at ambition and I say, Lord, I thank you that you've promised me life in all of its abundance. And I give my ambition to you. I trust you to elevate me and hide me whenever you see fit. Lord, I thank you that your only ambition was to do the Father's will and you've had more influence on this planet than anyone else in history. You know, maybe, maybe it's happiness. Lord, I thank you that you give me something so much deeper than passing happiness. You give me joy. And even in my suffering, even in my hopelessness, you work it to, 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 to reveal your closeness and your goodness in only the way that you can. Thank you, Lord, that you bring death out of life and I am transformed. Maybe it's money. When I put the kingdom first, I realize, well, actually, God, there's an adventure you're calling me to, which is so much more captivating, so much more exciting, so much more fulfilling than just the comfort of having loads of money. Lord, your presence is enough, is priceless to me. And I remember that the rich young ruler who you met, who had great wealth, actually went away sorrowful. I am, again, transformed. Relationships, Lord, I thank you that you came to meet me as I am in Jesus. I thank you that you give me everything I need. And that as actually as I look towards not just my needs, but the needs of wool, the needs of others, the relationships I so long for actually become possible. As I look away from myself, true, fulfilling, loving relationships actually become a reality. And maybe it's finally approval. When I put the kingdom first, I say, Lord, thank you so much that you've called me to be distinctive in my culture. Not self-righteous or aloof, but quietly pointing towards you in everything that I do. Lord, thank you that whenever your people grasp this truth, whenever we, we become most about God, other people can't help but be attracted to it. And I'm transformed. When we put God's kingdom first, we realize that it is a treasure. I just want to finish with this, and then we'll pray. I sometimes wonder with this parable if, if a lot of us, and I know for me this is a daily practice, by the way, recentering myself on God's kingdom and not just my own ambitions and needs and desires. But I wonder sometimes in this parable if it's almost like as Christians, we, 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 we grab the treasure and we're like, oh, this is some lovely treasure. What a lovely pearl. It's so nice. And we hold it and we play with it a bit and pop it in our pocket and just kind of bring it out whenever we think it's worthwhile. 
But actually, it's only when we give up everything for it that we realize its valuation. That we realize that this is a treasure beyond all value that is worth all of us. Why don't we stand and pray together?